you know, okay, let me just put it like this. When you think about sustainability, we think about it as a systemic thing and, and wanting to be able to be something that can be sustained. Well, it just wasn't working and, and, and I wasn't able to work out where in the system it was broken. You're listening to Conversations on a Sustainable Life with Libby O'Loughlin and Renee Laplante. So good morning, Libby. Good morning, Renee. Yeah, good to be back. It's a gorgeous sunny day here in Zurich for everyone who's listening. And um, yeah, we're in full summer. It's so nice. We just get to be out, outside. Yeah. In the space, in the air. Yep. I went for a walk in the forest just yesterday for lunch and I don't know, it was like the perfect temperature and yeah, mm. just lovely. So mm-hmm. I'm just enjoying it so much. So today we are in, um, we kind of have a different idea to cover, which is the bloopers and cautionary tales of sustainability. <laughs> Here we are. So um, Libby and I have been kind of thinking through our experiences and what has really been, you know, a hilarious moment, perhaps a like, you know, a big oops moment. Um, All of those like uh, times when we've been going through this for years, you know, and uh, what kind of resonated with us in terms of like things that people could be informed of and learn from our mistakes and, uh, you know, just also have a good laugh today. So that's our focus. And uh, yeah, here, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I wanted to bring up was a, um, like a kind of a common pitfall that we get into when we're, you know, excited about a new goal or excited about a new thing. And, um, you know, the, uh, the thing that comes to mind is when we set New Year's resolutions, right? And so we're like, yeah, I'm going to be really ambitious. I'm going to go to the gym once a week or twice a week or four times a week. And, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. And then of course, you know, with all those normal human behaviors that set in, um, usually that doesn't work out. Um, and like, essentially that is a perfect example of how we can be too ambitious and bite off more than we can chew in the space of sustainability as well. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and sometimes when when you discover the inner decarbonista or she comes back to life again, yeah, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And it's quite yeah. a lot. Yeah, she's super motivating, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and and so, you know, we want to work with that, right? We don't want to, like, you know, just be like, ugh, you know, uh, my lowly human self is, like, mm-hmm. you know, screwing me up again today. No, I mean, the fact is, is that um, we do have a very small supply of willpower in ourselves. And um, and what we tend to do, what's happening there is that we tend to overuse or overdepend on that willpower. And if we can rather get our heads around the fact that that willpower is very, um, it's extremely small. I mean, we're talking like 2% perhaps of our daily activities are things that we are actively, you know, kind of pushing and, and changing in ourselves, like actively, you know, really trying to adjust. 
um, then you know, like you don't have, we don't have a lot of capacity to do a lot all at once. So there's a couple strategies here. Um, one is just to be aware of it and to recognize that you want to apply that willpower to um, something that's really, really important and incremental, actually. So try to attach it to, uh, you know, so I'm going to stop driving to work every day. And instead, I'm going to pick one day a week where I'm going to just, you know, make sure that I don't drive you know, and, uh, and you're going to set yourself up so that you don't have to drive that week. And you're going to like make arrangements and everything, everything, everything. So that you, that willpower is really focused in on making sure that you don't accidentally pick up the keys and like go out the door and like get in the car and like start driving. And then you're like, Oh no, what did I do? (laughs) Right. So, so that's a, that's a strategy. Um, there's also, and I just listened to some really great things yesterday um, there's this gentleman named Dan Ariely, who's, you know, the guy that's known for behavioral economics and on Spotify, he has a great mini podcast where he talks about his book, this honest truth about dishonesty, which I highly recommend. And he goes into a lot of important themes and I won't spoil it for you, but I'm going to put it out there straight away that we lie to ourselves. <laughs> da, da, da. It's really plain and simple. Um, Now, that doesn't mean we can't get around that naughty habit, but it is key Mm -hmm. to know this about ourselves because um, otherwise we're just kind of making a big farce about Mm -hmm. this critical work we need to do to stop filling up the bathtub. And, you know, we're just making ourselves feel good and, you know, not not okay. So um, in case you haven't listened to episode six, definitely Mm. go have a listen because that's where the bathtub comes in and where we can kind of understand the problem that we're dealing with. Mm. But anyway, back to these videos and and audios I was listening to. I also listened to some YouTube videos. I was doing it for a client following up on some leadership topics. And Simon Sinek had some super smart suggestions, super Mm -hmm. clever. um, And he reminded me of another strategy, which is you can just remove Mm the temptation. Yeah. 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 Right. If you remove it, then it's not there for you to use. Mm. So in other words, you can get rid of the car Mm. and then you can't drive to work. Mm. Um, And of course that comes down to personal choice and what's going to be the most effective and what can you realistically do to make those alternatives work for you. Um, But it is just an incredibly effective strategy when we're going for big goals Mm -hmm. and we're trying to preserve that little bit of willpower that we do have. So, so that's another, you know, kind of more on the extreme side of like, you know, you're for sure dedicated and you're like, let me just remove the temptation completely. And let me just point out at this point, don't try and remove your children. (laughs) (laughs) They can be a very big um, chaos making (laughs) block (laughs) when you're trying to move towards certain changes in life when you're in a family unit you have all these different dynamics going on and so true um, yeah we can't do that we can't can't give them back Um, no well that's okay because actually they're helping us all grow so we need them (laughs) um so then a third strategy i'll just mention which is basically like using replacements so 
a lot of times what we try to do is we get really ambitious and we say, oh, I'm going to stop all this stuff, right? And, and I'm going um, to avoid this behavior that I'm trying to, you know, curb, if you will. And actually, it's, we, there are studies that show it's harder to um, stop something or to just like go cold turkey, basically cold turkey, or to like taper something way down and say, I'm going to resist something, right? Because then you're like really using your willpower to resist something. Mm -hmm. Like don't take the cookie out of the cookie jar and the cookie's sitting there. Mm -hmm. That resistance that you're trying to summon up drains our willpower more than anything. (laughs) So instead we can use replacements to still give us something in that moment when we're compelled, but we Mm -hmm, don't have mm -hmm. to use the bad part or the bad thing anymore. Um, it's like when you're training a puppy and like it's chewing on your shoe and you swap it with a bone. I mean, it's still going to chew, but on something better. Right. Mm. So sorry, sorry to use that analogy, but (laughs) we're pretty much like that. Yeah, I guess we are. So using the car example, um, you're going to, instead you're going to arrange for your friend to pick you up in carpool on that one day of the week. And it's going to be like a, a hard commitment that you guys make to each other. And, um, and that replacement is going to, you know, it's going to start to feel normal after a while. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you can like tick it up a notch and you can be like, hey, let's do it two, twi- two times a week. Or I'll drive one day and you drive the next day and so on. And so you start to ratchet up your, um, you know, the changes and you start to improve your impact and your positive impact through those incremental moments, um, applying your willpower, willpower very strategically. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we're just so accustomed to wanting to tie things up neatly and mm. solve things immediately. And so yeah. I think that's where the, the, the temptation is to go right, gates down, cold turkey, this mm-hmm. is the way it's going. And I, I mean, I guess for some people that does work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that that's not worth trying, right? So like if you have done it before and you know you can do that, mm-hmm. like go with it, right? right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I know people who've like quit smoking from one day to the next, you mm-hmm. know? And then I know people who've gone through like multiple programs to quit smoking, right? So it's just another behavioral example. Like there are, you know, there's there's some, there are ways to do this and people have different tendencies and approaches and like kind of self-discipline and in different areas of their lives. So um, not to say that it's impossible to just, Mm. you know, say I'm making a clean break here um, and changing, but, you know, just know it within, know yourself well enough to pick wisely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one um, was like the cautionary tale. Now I want to tell a bloopers, a very fun (laughs) bloopers story. Um, which is back in 2008, uh, there was a kind of a flare up, I would say, of um, environmental messaging. So, mm-hmm. you know, I worked in communications, I've worked in branding. I was, you know, at Google, I formed a group um, that was like the green group and we were all focused on recycling and we were, you know, trying to get our Googlers to like change their behavior within the office and do different things so that we would uh, save on energy and so on mm-hmm. um, and waste. And at that time, I was like, yeah, I'm doing such a great job. Good for me. And so I went and I bought 50 trees mm-hmm. um, from something like the Nature Conservancy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a certificate for it. 
And, uh, you know, it arrived in my inbox and I was like super happy and I dedicated it to like me and my husband because at the time we were just like kind of newlyweds-ish. And and, like, I was so proud of myself. Mm -hmm. So, so proud of myself. Um, What I didn't know was that those 50 trees were like teeny tiny blips in, in drops in the ocean of what is needed to actually absorb CO2. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't really take the time at that time to understand the dynamics of how CO2 is absorbed and the impact trees have, the positive you know role they play mm-hmm. in our world and the, and the natural sinks play. And um, yeah, I didn't get it actually at that time. So I went another like literally 10 years feeling like I had had it under control. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out what has going on behind the scenes there is that these small token activities that we do actually give us an excuse. They excuse us mm-hmm. from the real problem. Okay. And they can be a little bit dangerous in the sense of um, giving us like that hit, that dopamine hit and saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, good job. Mm -hmm. And then we can just move on. And then we like, and then, you know, I continued flying like nonstop for work and for my personal life and whatnot after that. And it was just a little bit, now that I look back on it, it it's almost like ridiculous. And I feel embarrassed, um, that I didn't understand it properly. And that, that was, you know, I was so proud of myself. I was like, I'm doing such the right thing, right? Well, one can only assume that you were doing what you did with the knowledge that you had to hand. Indeed, indeed. Mm. But, you know, it's like mm. being curious and looking into those details actually matter. Mm. Uh, and, you know, of course, I was uh, luckily also able to kind of do some internal office activism and and work on the problem from a different angle. And so I think that was, you know, that was good. It was contributing and I feel proud of that work too. Mm. Um, but I think what, a, what there, you know, my big blooper was, you know, not being curious enough to understand the science. Mm-hmm. And, um, and instead I re, um, uh, I, I kind of re-looked at that problem. I revisited it and I was like, Hey, where's that certificate? And when I started this journey for myself again. And I realized that actually to compensate my entire past footprint for my life mm. um, was, a, you know, it was a calculation I did. And on the, on the decarbonista website, you're welcome to join the mini challenge and try it out for yourself. Um, but when I calculated that actual number, it turns out I needed to have 654 trees living for 40 years each in order to absorb my past footprint. Okay. <laughs> right? So the scale is just like, it's mind boggling. Like and what so I thought I was did doing. Did that factor in the carbon footprint of the company that's doing the planting as well? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, the way that I did it was, um, so I did the car- the calculation in tree years, and then I did it into like how many trees need to live for 40 years, right? So I, I trans, uh, transformed all that into a number. Mm-hmm. I also looked at my family's footprint. So I, I accounted for my entire, um, you know, my nuclear family. So like mm-hmm. my husband and my daughter, all of the pets that I've owned in my life, mm-hmm. um, 
and then gave that um, uh, you know a number and then looked at tree planting organizations and said how much is it going to cost for me to buy one tree mm-hmm. and then I looked at that number and I looked at okay so I'm going to put a little bit more money in you know to the donation because I want to make sure the tree is well taken care of and I want to make sure that it's it really stays right so I kind of gave like a bigger donation right. knowing that I wanted that organization to have what it needed in order to do that work right because I'm counting on it right and and I'm putting skin in the game by putting in a donation investing in trees it's their amazonian rainforest trees Um, it's for my entire family. And that to me was like, you know, now I have skin in the game now, by the way, I really care about what happens to the Amazon forest. Mm. You know, I'm really, I'm really paying attention there and Mm. and doing what I can to advocate also for it because it's, it's got my trees there. Yep. The skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So that was one thing that felt like, um, an important learning that, you know, there's, yes, there's things we can do. We should do what we can. Um, but stay curious and stay curious and, mm-hmm. you know, know that what you're counting on actually is matters, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, um, it's not token-ish, basically. Mm. I'm guessing from a sort of 40,000 foot view of the, the situation back in 2008 mm-hmm. in terms of the green movement and communication around it, I'd say there was probably not half the um, data and um, available information out there as there is today, which is, I mean, it's awesome. We're so lucky we have all this stuff. But one of the articles that I read in um, a publication called The Conversation was called After 25 Years of Trying, Why Aren't We Environmentally Sustainable Yet? Mm-hmm. The question being, you know, what's going wrong with sustainability initiatives? And, and their suggestion was that there are three types of failure that keep on recurring, one of them Ooh. being communication. Mm-hmm. So that failures um, center on poor consultation or community involvement in the policy process um, mm-hmm. and opposition to the movement so to speak then flourishes sometimes based on misunderstanding Mm -hmm. of the severity of the issue Mm -hmm. and also mistrust i guess when communities Mm -hmm. needs aren't being met in the in the big picture and then the the second area is political well actually they they say the first area is economic second political third communication so Uh, um yeah yeah it makes sense. Anyway, I can put that link in the show notes for that. It's an interesting article. Yeah, please do. Please do. I think that's one of the reasons why I get really passionate about just sticking to this message, right? Like beating the drum and like being the drum for, um, you know, be that rhythm keeper, right? Mm-hmm. For everybody who's like getting interested in this topic. And we all just need to like stick with it. And behavioral change works like that, right? And yeah. And um, you know, even like great leadership actually works like that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, back to those videos I was watching. You know, one of the points that Simon makes is um, that great leaders that have incredible um, f- like loyalty and um, you know, if you will, like that sense of 
camaraderie that we kind of all seek and and wish we have had in our personal lives but also in our work lives and sometimes it's not there that's coming from like from like the deepest place of love for each other mm-hmm. and this um, you know ability of leaders to like call that up and be really true and authentic with it and to put others first mm. and this is it just really brought me back to like you know we are all able to do that for each other and this transition that we are making and need to make and are you know moving at different speeds on Mm. um to to make sure that our earth is sustainable for the people on it Mm. is a it's an act of love for each other Mm is an act of respect for humanity and Mm -hmm. for for the future generations and and um the past generations who've also worked hard to give us what we have today right Mm. um you know one of the pitfalls that i really kind of call people out on these days I have to say is around um saying that like fuel fossil fuels are like evil and bad the fact is here is that they have given us incredible progress they have afforded us so many positive things and it's not that they're bad it's that we're using them now too much and for the wrong reasons And I think that's true about a lot of things that are not sustainable, right? Like, it's not that they're bad things. It's just that it's the quantity and the usage is no longer appropriate. Does that resonate with you? And and like that way we don't Mm -hmm. end up being like fighting and like trying to take sides and be really angry or or frustrated with certain things, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that's the way that I think about it. And if it's helpful, you know, take it and run with it. I mean, does that, do you have any reaction to that and any, you don't know, visceral reaction or, or. Well, yeah. I mean, my visceral reaction is fear actually. Like when, when people start talking about oil and gas, Mm. because it's such an emotional issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I guess maybe being a writer um, I, I tend to go down rabbit holes on different sides of arguments a lot, mm. and and I find it really interesting. For example, that I can completely understand where Greta Thunberg and her crew are coming from, and saying it has to stop, everything has to stop right now. Mm-hmm. And the other the other part of me is thinking, well, hold on a second. If we stop using everything immediately, cold turkey, yeah, then we have another problem. And okay, we had just had this corona situation where we did stop cold turkey on a lot of things. Yeah. However, people don't often understand the amount of oil and gas sort of raw materials that goes into for example food packaging yeah and and that's true i mean even like medical supplies for example or you know there's a lot of plastics there's a lot of petroleum used in um yeah. creating these kinds of things and you know in a medical emergency uh we're not going to just say oh no we're not we're not using plastic today you know mm-hmm. um so again like this is that that extreme thinking and the the extreme acting like maybe as it one person you can kind of completely cut plastic out of your life right or you mm-hmm. can completely not use fossil fuels right that's awesome 
go do that, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, go and do it. Right? I applaud you. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and like, let's teach each other how we can do it and show, uh, lead by example and be uh, into that and be enthusiastic about it. And then, you know, but not turn around and then say, and the, it's really bad to do all these other things. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. I really look at these things as like acts of, uh, of love, of transition, of mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. respect for each other, and yet also compassionately challenging those situations when it's like, do you really need to be using that car today, right? Do you, do, do you truly need to be driving that particular vehicle? Or do you truly need to be ordering that thing? Or do you, you know, absolutely have to take that flight, right? And just offering the reflection and the the Mm. the compassionate challenge there Mm. um because that will help us to really you know go for those real needs as opposed to those perceived needs oh yeah there's so much packed into that and at this point I, i just kept thinking while you were speaking um about how at this point i i i feel that activism is so useful because mm. we, you know, I'm not sort of setting it up in opposition to compassion and yeah. love and um, and all of that stuff of of the, the gentle way through the world. Mm-hmm. I think we need I think we need both and yeah um, because I and you know I think we we were planning to talk about Michael Moore's yes. m- movie a bit later on, but um, I think just in the context of sustainability going sideways Mm -hmm. this is this is where a lot of the challenge lies with the movement if you could call it a movement Mm -hmm. as such it's more granular than that but um because the activist side of things is saying something has to change drastically and it has to change now Mm -hmm. and they're not wrong yeah Mm -hmm. and others are saying yes and we need to find ways to do this and one of them is to be engaging our compassion and love and some people see that as as a soft line but that's not that's not necessarily true so what i'm just bringing up is there's a whole big kind of um quagmire or gray cloud around this about how to move forward Mm -hmm. and and in the context of sustainability going sideways, I think this is where the um, confusion and mm-hmm. and all that sort of um, unclarity um, about ways to move forward and how to act mm-hmm. and how to address big systems and all of that stuff, that, that all becomes very heated and very emotional. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that, that I think is is where the potential lies for yeah. things to go very sideways. Absolutely. Because it also, it like evokes, you know, when those emotions get involved, it starts to evoke our skepticism and our, you know, kind of like, you know, our claws go out and it's like, no, like this is better than that. Right. And, mm. and that escalates and it triggers us. And we, you know, we get into our, you know, normal, again, normal human elements where we don't operate very intelligently when we are triggered and when we're, you know, disengaging our logic. So, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. this, all of this is a part of this problem and we can't ignore it. 
Mm. And yet, like, my kind of best attempt so far has been to say, I recognize and appreciate what that chemical slash that, you know, fuel, that um, solution has afforded us. And mm. I, and and I'm grateful for it, actually, very grateful. And it's time to do something different and mm. act as fast as possible and not overcommit because what happens when we overcommit? We fail. Do it as fast and yet as realistically as possible and take those steps, right? And go based on your best knowledge, okay? So, you know, I appreciate that you brought that up earlier when I was talking about my, like, tree token um, purchase. You know, that was my best information at the time. That was that was the best I could do at the time, right? And, um, and, and that's okay. You know, go with your best knowledge, but do your research. Make sure you're, you have, like, looked at it from many perspectives and yet still make the change, make the switch, make the better step, right? We can't sit here using fossil fuels indefinitely until we have the perfect ideal solution. We must mm. move into better solutions now. And mm. moving into better, it, it, it's not best necessarily, but it's better. Um, so if everyone can kind of get that in their, uh, you know, in, in embody that, then I think we will have better debates, we'll have better conversations, we'll actually move faster to find those best solutions, right? Mm. And as everything's evolving, by the way, and we've mentioned this in previous episodes, um, the climate's changing, right? Things are changing around us. And so we are being asked to adapt. And so adapting on the fly is necessary now. So, you know, it, it's no and longer, becoming, yeah. And becoming comfortable with, with chaos, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Because what, what happens For when sure. things are changing is that, you know, our, um, our anchors in life really go by the wayside mm-hmm. and it forces us to re- to look at those anchors and why we had them and, mm-hmm. um, whether we can find other ones and, um, yeah, when, yeah, but there there is a lot there is a lot at stake and there there is a lot changing. Mm-hmm. So yep. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And you know, it's totally normal because um us being kind of like, you know, compartmental thinkers, we mm-hmm. uh, you know, as humans, we search for these silver bullets, right? Mm. Um I have had so many conversations with ex Google colleagues that are like, "Oh, but technology is going to solve it." So, you know, they're, they're not worried. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, yes. And <laughs> let me, uh, elaborate <laughs> a little bit on that just cause I've been spending my hobby time on this, um, topic, you know, I, I really did think the same thing. And, um, what I discovered is that it's not tech that technology is going to solve it, right? It's going to boost us and mm. our, what we need in order to, make progress. Okay. And I think that's really different. And, um, you know, it's really normal for us to think really narrow and be like, yep, that one thing's going to fix it. And that I'm going to focus on that one thing. Right. But that's actually the problem is so big and pervasive and systemic Mm -hmm. and integrated and interconnected and interbeing, you know, like that doesn't work, unfortunately. Um, you know, I was, I was listening 
to another podcast. What a surprise. Um, and it was uh, this Jungian life, which is three mm. Jungian analysts who have very rich and beautiful conversations. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're talking about archetypes and, yeah. and the scale of archetypes that are in our you know that have, that have occurred over over the over the millennia and in in myths and stories mm-hmm. and what have you, and that occur in you know like for example one one of the um, the hosts of the show was talking about technology as you know a certain type of technology like a robot or whatever could be an archetypal symbol. No, and yet. How, what we do with it mm-hmm. is how it's going to manifest in in the world. So uh, you know, like an evil robot could still. This is not actually his story, but <laughs> okay. this is me trying to remember what he said. Um, you know, an evil robot can still can be just as archetypal of the same archetype as a good robot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's what we do with it that that. So so in other words, just to, to your point about the technology, mm. yes, the technology is there mm-hmm. and what we do with it brings that to its fruition. Yeah. So therefore the people that are programming, the people that are utilizing it and putting it into the world, Mm -hmm. into its systems that it's going to, you know, help and enhance and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It still has to be done by a human. Yeah. And I think that's the other factor that's um, really important to remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I hope I didn't just butcher that analogy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're ultimately in charge, right? Until Mm -hmm. AI does actually take over the world, which, you know, theoretically could happen, I suppose. Um, No, we're still in charge. And and this, uh, I just want to point out, you know, kind of back to the tree thing. Like when I discovered that trees are our most effective, quote unquote, technology today to absorb and sink, uh, sequester and sink CO2, I was like, oh, right, now I get it. Um, You know, there's all of this innovation going into these machines that suck CO2 out of the air and they, you know, they then liquefy it. They stick it into, you know, rock in the ground. And, you know, there's all and there's all of this innovation going on and this beautiful like exploration. And it's actually happening here in Switzerland, some of that. about like, you know, how do we make this affordable and people can buy it and then they, you know, like money is exchanged and it and I'm like, okay, uh, hello, you know, like, can we just plant some more trees right now? Because like right now we can do this. We, we yeah, know yeah, they work. Actually you know? Our reach. It's in our yeah. reach and it, it's like not very hard to do and you got to make sure it doesn't like die, but you know, you, like, you can water it and stuff, you know, like this is where I am with this topic. Like, it feels so weird to me that like coming out of a technology career and Mm. landing in this topic and thinking, um, no, actually I'm going to spend my time planting trees and donating to Mm. planting trees Mm. instead of developing technology. I mean, we can do it all right. We, everybody can work on some of it, parts of it, Mm. but like, it's, it's amazing that when we, um, we just take that mental leap and we just assume that like technology is the solution to all of our problems. Mm. Yeah. So um, you know, we we talked um, in episode six. We we discussed um, competing commitments oh, and yeah. 
blind spots mm-hmm. i'm just wondering you know scaling that up to you know as a culture and and the community what do you think our blind spot is then because Ooh. you know if if you're thinking well hello we could be planting trees do you think that's a blind spot or do you think that that's just um i think so a, I, I, a lack of com- a lack of being able to com- communicate from the from the sustainability world mm-hmm. lack of um being able to deliver messages well or um you know hmm. i mean i what i you know personally observe is just that um, in general, a lot of us who are educated, um, you know, have had careers or in our careers and are busy with our lives and, you know, think we're doing well and, you know, like having good intentions, right? We're, um, because of what we surround ourselves with every day, we're losing a connection to nature and that kind of dependence on nature, right? Like we want to really like think that like we don't need nature. Nature is something different, right? Like it, it, we mm. get this like sever, we get severed from it somewhere along the way. Mm, um, mm, mm. And what I found was like it, when I like accepted that like actually humans are nature. Oh yeah, like we're like animals, and you know we're 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 just connected. Um, it brought me, it grounded me a little bit more, and then I saw in there that we don't really respect what that role is that nature's playing we don't think of it as our peer you know as mm-hmm. our as a and i mean we mostly think of mother earth like this concept is like you know mother and you know it's it's nurturing us and like all of this like very stereotypical stuff um but do we actually recognize that like the trees you know they're like letting out co2 they're they're taking in co2 and they're letting off oxygen and we can breathe right like how many trees does it take to breathe uh, for a human adult to breathe have you know has anyone ever looked into that i did at one point i was like um how many adult trees need to be alive in order for me to breathe and somewhere on quora or something um the answer was like eight trees so if each of us, and I don't know how 100% accurate that is, but if you if you really look at like what trees give out and how many, you know, how much oxygen people take in and, you know, if you're really making like a very, very strict uh, uh, mathematical computation, um, you, you can think of that and say, well, do I have eight trees that are beholden to me and mm. creating my oxygen? And furthermore, now that I put out, you know, I'm around, what, 13 tons per year of CO2 right now. Are those are there enough trees that are absorbing that for me on my behalf? And if we actually thought of it that way, like, would we actually respect them more and want them to stick around and care for them better? Maybe. Mm. Um, I certainly do. Uh, and I And I really, like have internalized that now it's like those are necessary for me and I actually Mm. really like them and they're really good for my mental health so like yay you know like it just rebonding if you will with that natural element um that that we are actually connected to Mm. yeah and so when we talk about blind spots Mm -hmm. that's that's interesting because um a part of it also is that we have perceived needs Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the lives and the world that we live in have kind of morphed our, our understanding of what need our needs mm-hmm. are. For sure. So that's part of, you know, one piece of that. 
Yeah. And it, like, if you're a farmer, I've never been a farmer, right? So but I'm imagining if Renee was a farmer and I'm living off the land, right? Like, what am I going to need? Well, I mean, my needs are very clear, you know, like I need the, I need the sun. I need the water, you know, I need uh, mm. rain. I need, you know, healthy land. I need, um, you know, to have an ecosystem that like has healthy soil and it has healthy uh, microbes and it's, you know, that the, the plants come out nutritious and they, you know, and we deal with pests and so on and so forth. And, and, and most of all, I need my health, you know, so I can like make that happen and go. And, and I don't think that that's changed, right? It's just that we've um, layered a million other things on top of all of that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've ra- been raised that way. And we've been told things by media and, and society and our friends and, you know, and our parents and all of that just gets kind of bundled in. And then we just grow and grow and grow as people. And I, I think, you know, at some point, maybe you look at that again. I mean, I certainly have and appreciate that. Like I re- I need very little actually. Mm-hmm. I do. Humans need very little. And the yeah. things that we really need are, are really important and we don't take very good care of them right now. Yeah, and I guess the challenge is to be able to um, address that at scale. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So back to that silver bullet point. Um, you know, when you know this problem as it is so kind of pervasive. Um, I think one of the pitfalls, again, that we can fall into when we're getting excited about the topic and, you know, mobilizing ourselves and, you know, looking for um, ways that we can reduce our personal CO2 and getting in there, um, we, uh, you know, we, we just need to, like, keep in mind, like, hold it all, you know, gently in our minds that global warming is actually a result of emissions from many, many things, right? So electricity, so this is from the Bill Gates blog, which I can link in there. Um, I really liked how it's very succinct, so I'll just repeat it. Um, It comes from a combination of electricity, about 25%, agriculture, 24%, manufacturing, 21%, transportation, 14%, buildings, 6%, and miscellaneous, 10%. Okay, so... Just, you know, if we're going to look at the sources and again, you know, those show up in our lives in different ways. So um, that's a very unique picture that we all hold about how we're connected to these things. But it's I just like that, you know, just to keep in mind that silver bullet pretty much doesn't exist and um, kind of regular, consistent effort and trying to make big strides if we can is what's going to get us there right Mm -hmm. and and getting on that pathway now is really key so um do you have any funny stories libby about having sustainability snafus yeah when we got to switzerland we decided that we weren't going to own a car Uh because you know the swiss public transport system do I need to say any more <laughs> and we vastly underestimated how it was going to impact our lives in terms of integrating and oh. um and actually not f- feeling so isolated because we weren't able to find an apartment in a um 
an area that we wanted to that had mm -hmm. public, you know, lots of public transport. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, where we are is very good. There, there are trains um, and buses. Mm -hmm. um, and I had two kids that, that were young at that stage, five and eight years old. So automatically we, we would have had a connection to the community through the schools. Yeah. And the fact that we didn't have a car was very awkward. Oh. It, um, it became a point of uh, feeling like I wasn't able to get my kids to the places they needed to be mm. um, in a timely fashion, like if there was a birthday party or something yeah. like that. And, and that's because I didn't have complete control over that. Yeah. In the sense that, um, you know, I made a joke about you can't, you know, don't get rid of your kids if they, <laughs> if they're stopping you from being sustainable, sustainable. Well, I, you know, my son used to just lie down on the ground oh. when we were trying to get, get a bus. Oh dear. And, you know, so it, it ended up being this, it, it wasn't, oh, well, you know, it's just what happened, but it, that's just one small example of, of, um, you know, okay, let me just put it like this. When you think about sustainability, we think about it as a systemic thing mm -hmm. and and wanting to be able to be something that can be sustained. Yeah. Well, it just wasn't working and, <laughs> and, and I wasn't able to work out where in the system it was broken, except, oh. that, except that there were, you know, a, a fair bit of chaos involved that I wasn't able to kind of control. Yeah. So... In Human the end, chaos. I realized that I was becoming isolated and um, not able to be be as good of a self as I wanted to be, and mm -hmm. um, it didn't. And I wasn't able to get my kids to be as integrated as I would have liked them to be. Yeah. In terms of um, finding our feet in a new country, in a place we, you know, I didn't speak the language and all that stuff. So you know, had had I had a little bit more of that in place, then I think I probably could have kept on going without the car. Mm -hmm. But boy, it changed my life when I got it. So yeah. at that point, I, you know, we had to make a decision about, and, and so we did the research, you know, we mm -hmm. looked at what was available at the time and wh what the fuel consumption was on the cars. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so we did all of that research and that, I don't know whether that's a token effort or not, mm. because when I think about the big picture of owning a car, sometimes I don't feel that comfortable about it. Yeah. And at the same time, it came back to this, this question of balance. If I'm too extreme in one direction, mm -hmm. it comes at the cost of the other things in my life. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is another area that I think there's potential for sustainability to go sideways mm -hmm. because it, it, it requires constant kind of vigilance or at least awareness and mindfulness of the decisions that you're making and why you're making them and you know you feel like in a way I don't want to be walking around doing these checks and balances in my head all the time mm -hmm. because I think it's it's kind of a bigger thing than that mm -hmm. um yeah so I don't know make what you will of that story but yeah um, well that's good I mean I think you've had to you know, weigh and be thoughtful. And, um, you know, the, the thing that comes up for me when we talk about petrol cars is, you know, there's a lot of discussion and debate right now, like are electric cars better uh, than petrol? And, um, you know, what's that breaking point for justifying it, kind of? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I did my own kind of review and analysis and came to the conclusion that, like, 
So, yeah, we don't have a car, and but we live really in the city, so we can walk out our door and there's a bus and a, two buses and uh, trams within two to three blocks, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and we made that a very intentional choice when we looked for the apartment and whatever. You know, it, it, it's just that's what we did, um, and it worked for us. Um, but I do have friends who have cars and, and like, uh, like Libby, right? Like, like you. And, and the thing is, is like, are you also being thoughtful at the time of using it? And like, yes, you know, like I know, like we've had discussions about how you're, you know, kind of like consolidating your trips and you're, you know, you're thinking it through like before you use it. And it's a, it's a, it's a intentional use of carbon, if you will. Right. Mm. And on the electric car side, um, if you uh, if you're actually a haphazard driver of a car and you buy an electric car, that's actually probably worse. Right. Because you've put all we put all of this um, carbon into building the car and creating the battery and having that exist in the world. And then you only drive it a teeny tiny bit. And um that is not a, the necessarily a better use of the resources if you're going to just drive the car, the petrol car, very infrequently. Mm. Um, but if you're going to drive that electric car constantly and you're going to really use it and it's going to be, you know, in use or you're going to even loan it out to friends. Like I have a friend, uh, Marta, who's like on her way to buy an electric car. I think it's tomorrow that she's going to pick it up. And she's planning on doing like a car sharing program with her friends. And this, like when you think of it that way, like then that, uh, all of that energy that was put into you creating the, the piece of material, right? The car and the battery and et cetera, is going to be utilized, um, efficiently and it's mm-hmm. going to displace the use of other cars. It's going to displace the use of petrol cars, right? So if I go into her car sharing, um, club, then I'm not going to use the mobility car, which is this car sharing program we have in Switzerland, which are, they're all petrol right now. I think they might be introducing electric eventually, but you know, that is where I, that's where I get my guilt trip for myself is like, okay, am I going to really use the petrol car again? Right. So there, mm-hmm. so, but then her doing, making that step is going to allow me to try it out and to, to move in a different direction. And again, make a choice that I feel more comfortable with and um, is going to, you know, it, within my carbon budget that I've given myself, I'm going to be better off, you know, mm-hmm. um, because of her purchase and because of that thoughtful uh, consideration that they've made. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just, it's stuff like that where we're, um, you know, we, we do have to look into it and be thoughtful. And, and yet, as you say, you know, we need to live and we need to um, continue to kind of reassess when it's possible. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's helpful wisdom. Yeah. I, I think one of the hard things in this area is, um, like I said, there's sort of the checks and balances and walking around yeah. and, and, uh, because it's it's um, not easily quantifiable. Yes, it means that there is kind of this this open loop in your head. Yeah, you know that that th- somewhere is ticking away in the back of your mind is this thing. Oh, is it that? Is it this? Um, if I do this, do I need yes. to offset that with this? And this is this kind of exchange mm-hmm. mentality that mm-hmm. that somehow kicks in because. We've 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 grown up with these, you know, the checks and the balances and the yeah, very true. Um, in accounting, sort of, yeah, accounting and economies and yeah. um, all of that stuff. 
and 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 sure that that's kind of the way we 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 think about sustainability because it's about the fact that we have access to a lot of data now and Mm -hmm. we now see on in black and white Mm -hmm. what targets we need to hit Mm -hmm. and and yet and yet somehow that's um it's kind of a different it's not quite a body language if you know what i mean in in the individual yeah uh, yeah yeah. so uh, so that's 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 an area that i yeah, I have to think a bit more about that. It's still, yeah, I guess it's an exercise that's like really intellectual. And in order to make mm-hmm. it work, it needs to be really embodied, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's like another pitfall that you're pointing out, which is, you know, you're you're going through and you're kind of doing all these trade-offs and like it, it, that's using your willpower, by the way, to do all of that mm-hmm. and it's fatiguing, you know? And so like, yeah, that's right. let's yeah. not do that all on the fly constantly. Like that's why I'm a really big fan of creating, you know, doing your baseline measurement and then getting, giving yourself a target, giving yourself like a, I want to reduce by three to five tons or something, right? Like something big, do something ambitious and then mm-hmm. break it down and keep it breaking it down into those incremental behaviors mm-hmm. so that you're actually... Mm-hmm able to achieve it and um you know it's 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 ambitious but achievable right like that can exist together um and then you don't have to think about it all the time because you've already broken it down into the parts where you're like no it's the thing that i'm going to do differently is that one or two thing those one Mm -hmm. or two things Mm -hmm. not the 50 things throughout my day right so and that's the big picture thinking that's that's sort of in line with the um systemic thinking yes exactly exactly so like big big fan of all that like again like this is what i strive to empower people to do actually because what it allows you to do is like you know you have your plan you know you're executing on it and so all the time in between you know apart from those kind of two things that you're really working on all the time Mm. in between you can enjoy because Mm. you've thought it through and you've got that plan you know it's like you know that it's adding up and it's, you know, it's the equivalent of like putting a, you know, franc or a dollar in your, in your bank account every day, right? Like I'm doing that thing. I did it. I did it today. I did it, you know, and it's saving it up and you're not, um, stressing about like, oh, did I put my 10 in this week? You know, like it's, it's like broken down to the level where you can actually apply it very easily and, um, fit it into your life. Mm. Yeah. So I want to tell a funny story. I hope it's funny. Yes. I think it's funny. <laughs> I'm laughing I found already, it really. funny um, because it's one of these things that just really illustrates like what's going on in my household. So um, the other day, you know, we had an avocado sitting on the shelf and it was like, you know, it's those, those moments where the avocado is like, it's gorgeous one day and then like the next hour it's bad. You're like, no, mm-hmm. like the avocado, yeah. I picked it up and I was like, this smells off. And I was like, dang it. And I was about to like, just open it up and look at it and be like, yep, it's rotten and chuck it in the bin. But what I, what I observed in this smell was it's kind of smelled like um, bacon. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Have you ever had a bacon smelling avocado, Libby? As it well, does... I know that they when they, when they turn they do they do smell very different. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm open minded at this point, Renee. Okay, so <laughs> I um, am a secret lover of BLTs, mm-hmm. and but I have not had bacon in I don't know how long, like 
I don't know, maybe a year. So, um, and I don't ever cook bacon in the house because my husband doesn't like it and my daughter doesn't like it. And they just come, they would complain about the smell and it really sticks around, right? So it's one of those things. It's like, I've given up on bacon. But mm-hmm. I, when I smelled that avocado, I was like, this might be interesting. So I got on the internet and I started looking and wanted to check if um, it was possible to eat avocados that have gone bad, right? Like first things mm-hmm. first, like health and safety. Yeah, What's yeah. the story? And they're like, yeah, actually avocados, even when they turn. Um, okay, so I'm not talking about like the white moldy parts, but like, no. you know, they, they do turn, they can smell, they can be brown, right? Like there's like, those qualities are not dangerous, right? You can still eat them. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm doing this. So I prepared myself everything for my BLT and I opened up the avocado and I looked at it and I was like, yep, it's, it's got this, a bit of a funky color. Um, and it, but it, it's not like moldy, right? Like there was nothing in there that was like giving me my spidey sense of like, that's going to make me sick. And I get food poisoning pretty easily. So I have a pretty good radar for that. Um, So I, I cut it up and I put it on and I like, you know, that was my lunch for the day. And I sat down with my family and they were just like staring at me like, what, uh-huh. what's going to happen, you know? Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And I have to say it was the most delicious vegan BLT I have ever experienced. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, how interesting. It was incredible. I was overjoyed. I hadn't had a BLT in so long and I was like, mm-hmm. I want to do this more, you know? Um I couldn't believe it. I was just thrilled. So that was sustainable. Have you tried um, grilling it as well? Because as soon as you cook Ooh. avocado, it, tastes on, it takes on a completely nutty kind of gorgeous flavor as well. I've done it on the grill before. Um, mm. Not very well. It was kind of like an experiment. And it was like, you know, like half, I just put half of it on face down. Um, but uh, I'm going to do that next time I'm anywhere near a barbecue, which I don't own. But Oh, no, I just mean like under the... Um, Oh, you mean the oven like grill? Like put it on toast under the grill, oh, yeah. Uh, oven, yeah. I have not. Or, I mean, we do it on, we do avocado on pizza. That's really good too. <gasps> do you? Oh my, uh-huh. yummy. That, I'm not, I'm going to try that. I haven't tried that before. All I have to say is that do not toss those avocados unless you've really made sure that it's bad because yeah. this was like my most delightful, um, in, you know, discovery in a long time. <laughs> that um you know what like it's still possible to have a blt even if you're eating (laughs) plant-based okay well that's that's very good to know yeah so um that yeah so that was that was a sustainability goes the right way story (laughs) well it was it was pretty much almost going sideways sideways, exactly but uh yeah we recovered i recovered (laughs) yeah well um when i when we when I did the the course for yeah um, plant based nutrition, that that can go sideways for people. I think when you try to um, blitz the whole family oh, yeah. when you've got um, different personalities and different allergies and different everything, and mm-hmm. um, especially with kids when they're used to the the foods that they're used to getting, they can really be ooh, unhappy when something oh, yeah. new comes on the table. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that can go sideways, but um, yeah, I didn't have too much too much of a challenge there. Just personality related stuff, you know. Mm. So. Well, my daughter is the best at saying, "Ew, I don't want to eat that." Like I mean, before it even like hits her plate, you know, yeah, she's yeah, just yeah, looking yeah. and she's smelling and she's like, "No," and like 
kicking and screaming. I mean, and I'm just, and we're getting to that age now where I'm like, um, uh, can you say that differently? <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. And then, you know, her dad's looking at her like, you know, your mom just put a lot of effort into this or whatever, you know, dad just put a lot yeah. of effort into this. So, um, yeah, I mean, for sure, like that will pop up. Um, if you are experimenting with other people's palettes, um, Mm, and just know yeah, it sure. and you know take it take it on you know as you go and but don't yeah. give up don't give up like people can adjust and you know we're all like yeah yeah i yeah. think that's right and i mean if you just keep churning out the meals the way you do them and just go oh that's a, that's a shame well you know where the pantry is go and help yourself to a <laughs> sandwich or something that's fine yeah you know? totally yeah i just I, I was just trying to think of if there were any other things examples of that I can think of off the top of my head and and not really but I did find some really funny um uh examples of sustainability fails in in product (gasps) development and design oh that sounds good and I'll put it I'll put a link in the show this is just kind of a frivolous thing but they're just top of the list is the the Nike eco warrior shoe which um (laughs) <laughs> just you look at it and you just go, wait a second, that's Nike shoe. It oh. just looks like a, people call it the Air Hobbit. Oh, oh, that's bad. <laughs> I love it. The lesson being, if you're going to push a green product, be sure it aligns with your brand image and purpose, and check mm. it's something customers or consumers actually want. Yeah, or take a small risk on, right? Like, don't go too far with the risk, right? That's a, that's one thing. Like, we all like to think that we're, like, original and unique and, like, special people, and yet we don't take big risks in most mm-hmm. areas, you know? Like, that's just how we yeah. we are. We the, yeah. It's, like, all psychological. Yep. <laughs> so and there's another funny. example here about McDonald's announcing they cut plastic straws from the locations in the UK and Ireland, uh-huh. replacing them with a paper alternative. Uh-huh. The fast food chain uses 1.8 million straws a day in the UK. Wow. So they said it was a, um, a significant step for them to mm-hmm. help reduce single-use plastic. However, where the old plastic straws could be recycled, the new paper ones couldn't. Oh, so customers fail. were told to put them in the general waste. Oh. Um, and top of the straws not being a greener choice, they performed poorly, going soggy quickly. Uh-huh. That is so true. So people started to petition to reinstate the plastic straws. Wow. Interesting. Is, I mean, you know, it's one of these things that's like, oh, really? Is yeah. This, uh, <laughs> Do we need straws at all? Oh, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, after the age of 10, like, I think we can live without straws, you know? I mean, they're fun. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, it makes it part of life fun. But, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a very good question. Mm -hmm. So now we have um, switching to energy-efficient light bulbs. Uh Uh-huh. When your green innovation requires a completely new setup. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> so they're talking about the Philips Earthlight was um, was shaped so that it was completely <laughs> incompatible with almost every conventional lamp at the oh, time. Oh no! So yep, it's like a weird shape, too big, too yeah. wide. Yep, yep. Bummer. So there's a, yeah, there's much more here. So oh gosh, take up all the airtime. Well, I want to mention. I just want to mention one other thing before we close mm-hmm. up, which is. Um, 
actually it's quite critical and it's not particularly logical at first but then when you kind of get to know it like it it makes sense and you can kind of start to use it in your framework so mm-hmm. it's called the rebound effect mm. uh yeah so i couldn't find a a plain english um definition that satisfied me so i'm just going to attempt to say it in my words um but you can look it up on wikipedia and we can put it in the show notes but essentially what happens is, um, you know, you have a good intention. And so the effort that you've kind of put in gets compensated elsewhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you end up spending more on, you know, that thing that you Mm -hmm. were trying to actually reduce. Okay, so Mm -hmm. maybe that's like a very high level explanation. But let me give you a concrete example. So working part time. So in my space where I worked in people operations at Google for years, um, you know, part-time working is a big topic, actually. And uh, and it's cool. I mean, it's great. Like, I think employers are starting to do this more and, and recognizing that this is um, good and it's, uh, you know, a, actually could be even an efficiency increase and in, it's in the way people work. And, you know, like maybe working a 40 plus hour work week is not exactly what humans are really good at doing. So, um, mm. you know, working part time is has some benefits. But um, the question is, you know, with the rebound effect. So the day that you pick to work part time actually has an effect and it, ha- it can have a rebound effect. Oh. So, yeah. So can you guess which days are the ones that cause the positive impact of uh, working part-time in terms of a carbon effect? Can you guess? Just pick a, a day of the week. carbon effect. Yeah. So like you, you have lower carbon, a lower carbon footprint if you work on a certain day of the week. Any guesses? Friday. Uh, well, I'm thinking it's something <laughs> around, the, around the weekend, yeah. Okay, so you think it's a weekend. Exactly. Most people, when they want to work part-time, they're like, yeah, I'm going to tag it onto the weekend because from a workflow perspective, it makes sense, right? Because you're going to, um, you're going to pack in your work and then you're going to take a day off and then it's just going to make the weekend longer so your, your distance from work is farther, you know, it's just, it's a little bit longer over the weekend, but like mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. won't notice the effect and then your productivity will be fine. Right. And your continuity, right. And your working mm-hmm, will be mm-hmm. fine. Well, I think there's definitely truth to that, but when it comes to your carbon footprint, um, you know, working part-time, what is that doing? So it's actually making, uh, uh, giving you the effect of earning less money. And when you earn less money, you have less money to spend on carbon creating things. Okay. So that's kind of point one. And then the other thing is that if you work on, uh, or if you go part-time on that weekend, you're going to tag on more, let's say, vacation or weekend time to your week. And so it's more likely that you're going to go and you know, maybe go off for a long weekend, vacation. You're going to use that time in a way that's more leisure because it's connected mm-hmm. to the weekend. Um, Mm -hmm. As opposed to putting it in the middle of the week somewhere where it's not going to be seen as leisure necessarily by yourself. So maybe you, maybe it's leisure, maybe it's self-care time, maybe it's a yoga class and a, you know, uh, or like a short day and, you know, spending time with your kids or whatever, right? Like you name it, you can do whatever you want with that time. The point is, is that when we tag it onto the weekend, we actually can see a rebound effect and your carbon footprint could go up because of the way you're spending your time. 
interesting. Right? And if you put it into the middle of the week somewhere, you're going to get more of a like benefit for yourself and of more of a benefit to lower your carbon footprint based on those activities. Okay? So mm. obviously that matters based on what your hobbies are. Let's imagine if you are mm-hmm. a motorcycle driver for fun and you go off and you do more motorcycle driving on your half day or your you know one day off like obviously that's gonna be a net (laughs) gain to your carbon footprint because you're spending time using fossil fuels to do your hobby but you know if you're not doing a fossil fuel related or a carbon related activity on that midweek day Mm -hmm. you're gonna have both the income decrease from doing the part-time and you're gonna have the carbon footprint decrease as a Mm. result so that rebound effect can sneak up on us. And it, you know, if we're not factoring it into our decision-making, um, we can be, you know, we can kind of inadvertently add more to our footprint just by doing things that we think are good for the earth or good for our lives or good for our health or Mm -hmm, animals, mm -hmm. et cetera. So like Mm -hmm. just a worthwhile thing to say, um, you know, rebound effect, look into it, uh, kind of get it, uh, understand and internalize it for yourself so that you are like, when you are making those trade-offs, you're including it in your uh, thoughts. Yeah. 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 What it's basically looking at what other activities you're doing that are filling the space of whatever you're cutting down. Exactly. Exactly. And like some of that stuff could be, you know, taking a cooking class or like learning something that is, amazing for your life and then yet it turns out that that thing that you've learned is carbon intensive right and Mm -hmm. then you're adding that into your life instead of kind of maybe focusing on self-care or something that's like maybe more low carbon like you know walking in the Mm -hmm. forest or Mm -hmm. meditating or doing yoga or whatever I mean I'm just putting all a very short list out there because those are the things I always wish I'm doing when I'm not working (laughs) Um, but you know everyone to each his Mm -hmm. and her own Mm. yeah good one yeah so i just felt like worth putting into this episode because we are you know all like especially with that good intention know that good intentions you know can also have little side effects so like be aware of the rebound effect and Mm. all of these other you know psychological behavioral kind of pitfalls that we can get into um and yeah but you're gonna do awesome and we're really excited to hear your stories and um yeah maybe we can do a, a listener blooper episode in that in the future <laughs> yeah love to get some of those from you too yeah for sure all right well till next time yeah till next time Libby. thanks for sharing your stories with me it's been a fun episode yeah thanks renee <laughs> talk to you soon thanks for joining us links are in the show notes If you found this episode inspiring, please share it with your family and friends. We can all do this sustainable life thing together. And don't forget, we have a mailbag and would love to hear from you. Let us know what your challenges are and what's been helpful. Email us at sustainablemailbag at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.